Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the We Can't Wrestle podcast proudly brings to you the return of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. And if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. I'm back, baby. Yes, yes, that's three words, I know. But welcome back to If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I'm your host, Archie Mitchell. And guys, after a one-week hiatus because real life got in the way and my real nine-to-five job uh, caused me to be away from my family during the Father's Day weekend and everything else that was going on, I am now back. I apologize for the one-week delay in shows, but sometimes it happens. Uh, I will promise that that won't happen for quite a while uh, again, so bear with me. Um, and yeah, uh, I was away for a week. Uh, Mark Brew is doing an incredible job with his show with Mark Spotlight, uh, Indie Spotlight. Um, the We Can't Wrestle podcast is still going strong with its uh, PWI 500 uh, review on the first ever PWI 500 Aaron Maxson with his year that was and his brainchild of reliving the extreme um, with Nate Maxson and Chad Austin has been fantastic. Uh, I've listened to everything while I was gone. Keep doing a great job. My favorite show, as you all know, is A Slice of Time with Nate Maxson uh, because, well, the indie results. (laughs) You know I'm an indie mark, and I love hearing some of those crazy names that they come up with, so... By all means, I will uh, gladly uh, tune into the uh, Slice of Time show with Nate Maxson whenever I can. Now, with that being said, tonight we've got some quick hits. We'll be looking at AEW Dynamite and NXT uh, 2.0 from this past week. And I will be, once again, telling you what grinds my gears. Um, So, strap in, fasten that seatbelt, and let's go. As I spew, spew my venom my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. So, first quick hit, Stephanie McMahon is now the interim CEO of the WWE. Why is that? Well, we'll get into it in full later, but Vince McMahon and his problem with the board of directors uh, looking into his $3 million hush fund has caused Vince to step back. Stephanie is now the new CEO, uh, and I'm very happy about that. I think that Stephanie did an incredible job when she was a part of the creative team and was booking WWE SmackDown with Paul Heyman. Uh, I think that Stephanie can do just that for the entire WWE, along with Triple H, Paul Heyman, and Bruce Prichard. Um, I'm very, very optimistic to see what Stephanie and Triple H might do with the company. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a new day moving forward, in my opinion. I have to start tuning into Monday Night Raw again and SmackDown to see if there are any changes implemented. But whatever the case may be, ladies and gentlemen, I will say this. I'm on board, and I'm very, very happy uh, that we have a new CEO and that her name, well, her last name is McMahon. Number two... Triple H is back apparently in power in NXT and does have a lot of more uh, power in the WWE once again. Of course, as we know, that uh, Triple H was injured. Um, he felt sick. You know what I mean? He felt sick. He was in the hospital. Uh, there were talks of it possibly being a heart attack. 
or, or stomach issues or whatever the case may be. He did do a surgery, and during his time away, he was taken out of power both in NXT and in WWE. We got left with the monster under our beds known as Nick Khan, uh, with Triple H now coming back and taking his full seat in the WWE again. I can say this. I do hope that Stephanie and Triple H can uh, put Nick Khan sort of in his place. I know he is the president of the WWE right now, but I do also hope that they take some of that power to fire people unjustly away from Nick Khan. Congratulations to Triple H. Congratulations to Stephanie. I do wish them the absolute best in their new jobs and uh, in what they're going to be doing in the WWE going forward. I'm a very big Triple H fan. I always have been. Uh, DX was a major part of my childhood. So to see him back in power uh, definitely makes me very, very happy. Final quick hit is not really a full, uh, a small quick hit. Uh, not quick by any means. Um, I'm going to be speaking about the lackluster card for AEW's Forbidden Door. Um, you guys know that I'm an advocate for AEW. I love them. I will watch anything AEW. I enjoy Dynamite. I enjoy Rampage. I see the broader picture. I understand that storylines don't need to be long. I understand that booking can be a little erratic sometimes, as long as you get a good match out of it. But, unfortunately, um, Forbidden Door was thrown together like you would throw a piece of spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. Yes, that is the analogy I'm using. Because everything just happened so quickly. Uh, look at this card. All right, the buy-in actually seems like it's not too bad. Okay, so listen to this. QT Marshall and Aaron Solo taking on Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. That could actually be a great tag team match. Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto are amazing in Japan. And QT Marshall and Aaron Solo can actually wrestle. So may not be too bad for the buy-in. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland taking on El Desperado and Yoshinobi Kanemura. Uh, I know El Desperado very well. Watched him many times during. Definitely a great high flyer. Um, and we all know that Swerve and Keith have been a great tag team. So that could be a good match as well. But these two matches I just mentioned were put together today. As of this writing, as of this recording, these two matches were put together at 8 p.m. tonight. And it is Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. Forbidden Door is tomorrow. You may be listening to this on Monday, but Forbidden Door may have already happened, and they put this match together 24 hours before the show goes on the air. The third buy-in match, Max Caster and the Gun Club, Billy, Austin, and Colton Gunn, will be taking on Team NJPW Dojo. Uh, Unamara, Coughlin, DCK, and Kevin Knight. Now this, again, might be an incredible matchup because you've got... Three young talents from AEW who are still learning in Colton and Austin Gunn and Matt Caster, along with the veteran Billy Gunn. And then you've got four dojo members on the New Japan side who are still learning uh, and still honing their craft. So by any means necessary, this could be a show stealer. And again, this match was made Friday night on Rampage. So just one day ago, less than 24 hours ago. A little ridiculous. Now we get to the main roster card. Take a listen to this. 
Zack Sabre Jr. will be taking on a mystery opponent handpicked by Brian Danielson because Zack wanted to fight Brian, and Brian is not medically cleared. He does have some sort of, of uh, concussion or other health ailments. So, the match we were supposed to get between Zack Sabre and Brian Danielson, which would have been fantastic, is now being left in the hands of whoever AEW can sign. According to Brian on Dynamite, he has handpicked an opponent that he trusts and thinks is the best wrestler in the world today. Rumors suggested that it'll either be Johnny Gargano or Cesaro. If it's one of those two men, I think it'll be a fantastic match. If it's not, then we're looking at another dumpster fire. We then have a six-man tag. Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara taking on any Kingston, Shota Umoni, and ROH Pure Champion Wheeler Utah. No offense to Jericho, Suzuki, Guevara, Kingston, Shoto, or Utah. Why was this not a match between the Jericho Appreciation Society and maybe uh, Bullet Club or uh, uh, Chaos? Why was this an intermingling of AEW and New Japan stars, which also Shota and Minoru Suzuki, I mean, Suzuki's a huge star in Japan and he's been in AEW a couple times, but Shota hasn't and no one really knows who he is. I don't even really know who he is. So we're kind of left with a six-man tag that's a little bit of a boo-boo. Uh, we then had an eight-man tag, which was switched today to a six-man tag. Um, it was said to be the Bullet Club's uh, Hikaleo, uh, the brother of uh, uh, Tangalo and uh, Tamatanga, uh, Gorilla's Destiny, and El Fantasmo, teaming with the Young Bucks, who are former members of the Bullet Club and now the Undisputed Elite, the AEW World Tag Team Champions, taking on the Dudes with Attitude, Sting and Darby Allen, and Los Ingrenobos de Japan's Shingo Takagi and Hiramu Takahashi. Haramu is running a fever and cannot travel from Japan to the United States, so it will now be a six-man tag. Hikaleo and the Bucks taking on Sting, uh, Allen, and uh, Shingo Takagi. This could be a fantastic six-man tag. What I don't like about it is that the Bucks are not defending the World Tag Team titles. I think that if they would have done the Bucks versus the Gorillas of Destiny, it would have been a much better match. If they would have done the Bucks versus Doc Gallows and Lou and uh, uh, Carl Anderson would have been a much better match. This six-man tag match did not need to happen. We then get what I'm calling comedy for the sake of comedy, and it shouldn't have been. The IWGP United States heavyweight title. Orange Cassidy is challenging Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay is one of the best high flyers and technically sound wrestlers I have ever seen. He and Ricochet have put on some of the best matches ever, and he has challenged Kazuchika Okada multiple times for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. But instead of him getting a good opponent, instead of him going up against someone on the roster that you deem respectable, I'm going to go ahead and take a uh, comment from the one and only Jim Cornette and say he's fighting pockets. Orange Cassidy, I mean you no harm, my friend. I, I actually respect you. But you should not be in the ring with a guy like Will Ospreay. That lazy booking, that lazy wrestling ability will not mesh well with the speed that Will Ospreay has and puts forward in his matches. It's a joke. We then have the AEW women's uh, title match. Uh, the main title, and it's Thunder Rosa defending against AEW's contracted star, 
Tony Storm. Why was this not an NJPW a women's wrestler? Someone from Shy or Stardom, Shine or Stardom. What was the point of putting on a match that has already been building on regular AEW programming on a pay-per-view that you are building and and putting up as AEW versus New Japan, the Forbidden Door? What is forbidden about the women's title match going on here? I happen to love Thunder Rosa. I think that she's a fantastic talent. She has some of the best wrestling ability in the world. Tony Storm, on the other hand, is all hype because she asked for her release from the WWE and showed no care, you know, no caring about them and said, fuck you. Everybody jumped on the Tony Storm bandwagon. And in my opinion, her being in the company for a couple of months does not initiate a world title shot at the women's title. Up next, we have a winner-takes-all triple threat tag team title match. The ROH Tag Team Champions, FTR, my favorite tag team right now in the game, uh, taking on the IWGP Tag Team Champions, United Empire, Jeff Cobb, and Great Hogan. And Rapungi Vice is thrown in there to make it a triple threat match. Basically, whoever wins the match for their team, walk away with two belts. Either we are going to see FTR, United Empire, Rapungi Vice, calling themselves the Ring of Honor and IWGP World Tag Team Champions. That's fine and well. And I get that Rapungi Vice was cheated out of their title shot against FTR a few weeks ago by the United Empire. But why were the Young Bucks not in this match? Why were not another tag team from another company put in this match? Why were the Briscoes not brought in? Why were uh, did we not get other tag teams put into this match and have it become a 10-man match? Or, or a 12-man match with six teams. What I'm saying is it's winner takes all. It's a triple threat match, honestly, for no reason, other than Rapungi Vice getting screwed out of their title match. And what we get stuck with is hopefully, hopefully FTR walking away with both belts. But what I think we're going to end up seeing is uh, United Empire pulling out a, a win and taking both belts and then losing the ROH titles to somebody else down the line. We then have, by far, my favorite match on the card. The only match I can honestly get behind. The Fatal 4-Way for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Kazuchika Okada, one of my favorites from New Japan. Adam Cole, Bebe. Adam Page and Jay White, all battling it out for Jay White's newly won IWGP World Heavyweight title. That is going to be the show stealer. That should be the main event. And in my opinion... That is the only match that actually has a War of the Worlds battle between NJPW and AEW involved in it. Only one. We then have another Fatal 4-Way for the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic title. I don't know what this belt is. I'm going to be honest with you. This tournament was happily thrown together during the Interim World Title Tournament, or whatever it was that they were doing with that. And it was just like, okay, we're going to put some guys in from other companies and from this company and this other. It's a fatal four-way. We've got Miro, who I'm happy to see him back and once again on a tear. Pac, who I love. Malachi Black, who I absolutely love. And Clark Connors, who I've only seen one time on NJPW Strong. Uh, he's replacing the injured Tomohiro Ishii. He got injured during his match with Clark Connors. And even though Tomo won, um, Clark is taking over because of the injury. Injuries has plagued this pay-per-view. I understand that, ladies and gentlemen. But it also has, it would have been lazy booking regardless. Uh, but in any indication, a newly crowned champion will be made in this matchup. And I love Pac and Malachi Black, like I said. 
I, I know they've got a history there. I think Miro's going to be busting everybody's ass in that ring. Clark Connors, again, I don't know enough about him to really pass judgment, but all I will say is, is this could possibly be a great match as well. And then, of course, our main event. It was supposed to be CM Punk versus Tanahashi in a battle of the two best. Punk, yes, got injured, and I understand. And rather than stripping him of the title, we made an interim champion. Our interim champion matchup that has been made is a matchup that has a lot of history. John Moxley stated that when he was the IWGP United States champion, Tanahashi never wanted to fight him. Tanahashi called him a, 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 a bullshit wrestler. He only knew how to bleed. Uh, you know, mud show, outlaw, all the BS that you hear about guys like Moxley who only bleed in their matches and have brawls. So when Moxley lost the IWGP United States title to Lance Archer, Tanahashi fought Lance Archer and beat him a couple of weeks later in Japan, which pissed Moxley, Moxley off. He said he's going to go to Japan and fight uh, Tanahashi. They never had the battle. So now we get this match for the interim AEW world title. Both guys are going to battle it out. It has the chances to be a barn burner, an absolute slobber knocker, to borrow some words from good old JR. But what it also has a chance to be with Moxley feuding with Jericho and other members of the uh, liver, the Blackpool uh, uh, Fight Club and, and everything else going on, it has a chance to be a clusterfuck. And Moxley only winning the title and then moving on to feud would uh, continue with his feud with Jericho. Maybe that's not the worst thing, but we've seen that those two fight before. We've seen, seen them have battles. It's not really worth it here. There were other ways they could have won with this. They could have crowned a whole new champion uh, in any of the other younger guys that are on that roster. They could have let Adam Page back in. It could have been Page versus Moxley on an episode of uh, Dynamite, and they could have went and had Page take on Tanahashi, or Page versus White with both belts in uh, on each guy's. Maybe it's just me, but... I think that with all that was going on to build this pay-per-view, it just wasn't built enough. And yes, I'm going to pony up my money and watch this pay-per-view. As I do for every wrestling company that I like. Um, am I going to enjoy it? enjoy it, though? That really remains to be seen. But I will talk about it next week and give you my full review on AEW's Forbidden Door. And I gotta be honest with you, if I eat crow, then by all means I eat crow. Prove me wrong, AEW. Let me see what you've got and what you're gonna bring to the table for Forbidden Door. So, with that being said, and the quick hits now out of the way, sorry for such a long drawn out um, look at AEW's Forbidden Door, but I didn't have a chance to do it last week. Or get ready for it this week. Uh, so I, I figured might as well do it during the show. Let's get into our next part of the show. And that's the show reviews for NXT 2.0 and AEW's Dynamite. And NXT 2.0 starts off by going straight to the ring. Which is my favorite way to start off the show. We've got Solo Sequoi taking on Grayson Waller. This one started off fast paced. And Sequoi showed his brute force. Waller has slowly improved. 
and put up some good reversals to keep Sequoia on his toes. Solo had the match won, but the referee was out of position. This allowed Waller to hit his rolling cutter and pick up the big, a big upset victory to start off the show. We then went to Carter and Chance taking on Faraz and Leon. This was a terrible women's match. I'm sorry. I know you guys probably think, oh, this guy really hates women's wrestling. No, I don't. I, I don't. I, re I really don't. When it's a good women's match, I will praise it to the high heavens, but this was bad. Um, it was terrible from beginning and to end. Carter and Chance always make their moves look painful and not in a good way. Peraza Leon's gimmick is bad and bland, but at least this was short. Carter and Chance got the win after a double-team move. We then go to Roger Strong and Damon Kemp taking on Legato Del Fantasma. Very enjoyable tag team matchup here with Strong and Kemp not being able to find an answer quick enough for Joaquin Wilde and Del Toro. Legato uh, kept throwing Diamond Mine for a loop and hitting some nice double-team moves. Kemp showed off some great collegiate wrestling ability and power. Two dimes tripped up Toro and Strong hit his finisher to pick up the win here, causing some strife again between uh, Legato Del Fantasma and Tony D's family. Cameron Grimes then took on Enoff, and this was done uh, directly after Grimes told uh, Enoff and his partner to show more heart last week, and Enoff did just that, ladies and gentlemen. Very good outing for the youngster, hitting everything he possibly could. Grimes made multiple comes back, but had to lie and wait. Enoff made one mistake. Grimes hit a double stomp and got the great, uh, got the win. Uh, great going for uh, a great win going into his NXT title shot. Excuse me there. I'm sorry for the jumbling of words. Uh, Grimes will now face Braun Breaker for the NXT title. And while I don't think that Cameron Grimes is going to be the next NXT champion, I think that he is deserving of a title shot. We'll have a great matchup with Braun Breaker. Von Wagner then took on Jensen. Battle of the big men, and I have to say I liked it, mainly because it had a throwback feel. Jensen reminds me of Barry Windham in this one, and he's a big and rough ready Texan. But Wagner used his power and took out Jensen to get some revenge with a win this week after his loss last week. We then go to Alba Fire taking on Lash Legend. I liked everything about Alba Fire, but Legend is horrible. Uh, everything Alba tried to do, Legend just kept falling wrong and botching. Legend caused a DQ and left, uh, and I'm left with my head in my hands, ladies and gentlemen, because Alba Fire has been getting a push against everybody, and then they basically protected Lash Legend and didn't let her get the loss. Um, then it was time for our main event, Carmelo Hayes. Taking on Tony D'Angelo's main event was as good as possible, and for 20 minutes, both of these guys showed off and in and out of the ring. Carmelo has become one of the biggest stars in NXT, and Tony D has gone from terrible to bearable overnight. After a great back-and-forth match, Santos Escobar cost Tony D the match by throwing Carmelo Hayes the brass knuckles. Hayes picked up the win and is still your NXT North American champion. Notable moments, Braun Breaker and Cameron Grimes backstage was perfectly done, leading into their title match. I like this new killer instinct from Cameron Grimes, and I like that Braun Breaker kind of is not really showing whether he's worried or not. So we're getting a kind of a careless Braun Breaker. And also, Toxic Attraction's entering promo was fantastic, and in my opinion, Gigi Dolan could be the breakout star of that group going forward. Giving NXT uh, 2.0 a 3.5 out of 5, I think it was a good good night, but there were a couple of uh, missed opportunities uh, pushing into the Great American Bash. 
AEW Dynamite is next, ladies and gentlemen. Dynamite started off with Daniel Bryanson, uh, Brian Danielson in the ring with a promo, but we will talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we go to a six-man tag, Orange Cassidy and Fungi Vice taking on Will Ospreay and the Aussie Open. This was a decent opener, uh, but all six men seemed like they didn't mix well together. Trent is slowly becoming a workhorse. Ospreay is a magician in the ring, and I don't know about, enough about Aussie Open to critique them. Cassidy picked up the win for his team, and I didn't agree with this ending, especially since we're going into a match between these two. I think that Osprey should have caused a DQ and maybe just beat down on Orange Cassidy, leading us to get maybe a more vicious Orange Cassidy going into their match. But, I mean, who am I? What do I know, right? We then go to Malachi Black taking on Pentagon. Excellent matchup and by far the best match of the night. Black and Pentagon have great chemistry and timing. Black used some impressive kicks in and out in, in this one, and a hell of a technical sound moveset. Pentagon went to the air one too many times, and it cost them. Black picked up the big win here and is now in the All-Atlantic title tournament. As we mentioned, he is in that fatal four-way. Um, we then go to Adam Page taking on Silas Young. A hard-fought battle between the Cowboy and the last real man. Silas hit Page with everything he had and almost got the upset more than once, but Page kept fighting back. Page hit a rolling clothesline and then the buckshot to pick up the win and continue his momentum into Forbidden Door. Marina Schaefer took on Tony Storm. This was not my cup of tea as both women just had a lot of problems in the match. Schaefer uh, is not flush and a little sloppy, and Tony has too much hype, as I said. Add Nyla Rose to this match, and it was a disaster. Tony got the win with a roll-up, and I'm just glad it was done. Jericho and Lance Archer then took on John Moxley and Tanahashi in our main event. Good main event showed three of the best right now and the undervalued Lance Archer. Moxley and Jericho wanted to take each other's heads off. Tanahashi showed us Americans what Japanese style looks like uh, with his high-flying ability. Archer needs to be featured more because when he is on the show, he is always in a good match. Tanahashi at the high-fly flow got the win for his team. Notable moments, Brian Anderson's opening promo did its job, and I cannot wait to find out who his replacement is. As I mentioned, if it's Johnny Gargano or Claudio, Claudio Castanagli, a.k.a. Cesaro, I'm all for it. If it's somebody that you just decide to throw at, you know, at Zack Sabre, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Kristen Cage's in-ring promo was good, but a little disrespectful. Mentioning, mentioning Jungle Boy's dead dad, was a little tasteless. And the ending with uh, NJPW, AEW, and JSA, and Kingston all fighting, and Moxley and Tanahashi just staring each other down, was actually fantastic. It was the first time I felt like I was going into the pay-per-view and actually said, okay, let's see what you got, Forbidden Door. I'm giving uh, AEW Dynamite a 4 out of 5 this week. Definitely a more well-rounded show. Uh, almost perfect. couple of you know, little problems here and there that could be tweaked. But I think that maybe Dynamite was the better of the two shows. So, with that being said, let's go into Nate Maxson's favorite part of the show. And that is what grinds my gears. And what I'm talking about this week is Vince McMahon stepping down. Now, I understand that the WWE Board of Directors looked into an unknown fund, which was later found out to be a $3 million hush fund for Vince McMahon to give to a woman 
that he was dating and later passed on to John Laurinaitis. Now, I don't know if it was the idea of being passed to John Laurinaitis that freaked this woman out. I don't know what caused the problem, but apparently she was a 41-year-old paralegal who decided she wanted to date Vince McMahon. The reason that this grinds my gears is not because of what Vince McMahon did. What grinds my gears are all the wrestling fans who beg for the Attitude Era to come back. You want to see the Attitude Era. You want to see the craziness. You want the absolute best of wrestling again. And then you bitch and you complain and you get upset when something like this happened. Vince McMahon was the biggest woman chaser and womanizer during the Attitude Era. Vince McMahon, the character, and I understand we need to separate the character from the actual person, but in all honesty, the on-screen Mr. McMahon character is closer to the real Vince McMahon than we all know. Because there have been constant talks that Vince was actually sleeping with most of the divas and the women's wrestlers during the Attitude Era. And Linda knew about it, but didn't say anything because she enjoyed her cushy living style. So again, I say, during the Attitude Era, Vince McMahon was the biggest womanizer there was. Sable, Tori Wilson, Stacy Keebler, Jesus Christ, he made Trish Stratus get down to her bra and underwear and bark like a dog on national television. Now, you people don't seem to realize that, and that maybe Vince McMahon decided in his later years to find a girlfriend or whatever, because Linda and he are not really together anymore. They haven't been together for quite some time, you understand. They're basically a presidential marriage so that they can both still retain the name and the finances that they both have at their hands. How do I know this? How am I saying this? Why am I saying this? It's been common knowledge forever. Linda's mentioned it in interviews. Vince has mentioned it in interviews. I'm not claiming to know the McMahon family and say that I have insider information. It's public knowledge. You understand. But with that being said, this young lady decided that she wanted to date her boss because her law firm was uh, under the, you know, note, the, the financial backing of Vince McMahon because those were his lawyers. She decided to date her boss. Vince and her dated for a little while. And then here's where Vince is wrong. He passed her along to John Laurinaitis. Again, John Laurinaitis has a very big history of trying to or dating the divas, telling women's wrestlers that they had to sleep with him in order to move up. Um, but this was not a woman's wrestler. This was not a young girl. This was not someone that either one of these men forced themselves on. You understand? So for anyone to say, oh, Vince is this, Vince is that. No, no. Vince is a man. And he did what any man would do in dating a woman. But where he was wrong was giving her to John Laurinaitis. I don't care what anyone says. That stupid saying, it ain't fun unless all the homies get to have some. That's a joke. It's not real. But where he tried to make it right was to give this woman money, not because she was a prostitute, not because he was trying to push her under the carpet, because he was trying to make things right. And whoever went ahead and tipped off the uh, board of directors and they look, them looking into it, 
whether it was Nick Khan, which is one of the conspiracy theories, whether it was Stephanie McMahon, which is another conspiracy theory, although I can't imagine his own daughter would rat him out, um, whether it was just a, you know, a, a, a someone spilling the beans that knew this woman. Truth of the matter is, is Vince McMahon did what most men do, dated a woman, got in trouble, tried to get her away best he could by paying her off or whatever he needed to do. He got caught now. We are no one to judge him, especially when we all want the same attitude error we used to have. And if that was the case, well, then Vince would have been doing this on screen with one of the WWE women's wrestlers. You understand? Vince would have probably had that Aliyah broad on his arm every week if we were in the Attitude Era. Or Charlotte Flair. Or Shasha Banks. Or any of the women that are on the roster right now would have been Vince's on-screen girlfriend. And you know what you guys would have said? Damn, Vince is lucky. Damn, I wish I was Vince McMahon right now. But instead, you're judging him for doing something that a million other businessmen do, a million other normal men do, a million other men who aren't normal do. He didn't hurt no one. He didn't kill no one. He tried to make it right. So back the hell off. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Being back here on uh, the show has been a blessing. I'm happy to once again have time to be able to uh, enjoy myself and record the podcast. Thank you to Nate Maxson always for giving us this outlet. Thank you guys for continuing to support all the shows uh, that we uh, do here on the We Can't Wrestle podcast and WrestleNet Radio. Um, and a quick shout out to my buddies, my friends, my brothers in the Asylum uh, Wrestling uh, toy group uh, over there on Facebook. Uh, in August, they are putting on a wrestling show. That's right. You heard me. They are putting on a convention, and the name of said convention is Wrestle Bash. That's right. Wrestle Bash. And it is going to be a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. August 20th in Parsippany, New Jersey, my backyard, uh, you are going to get a chance to see, well, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot of wrestlers. And if you don't believe me, well, check out this lineup. We've got Kevin Nash. We've got X-Pac, Sean Waltman, Booker T, Orange Cassidy, Ron Simmons, Ethan Page, his tag team partner, Scorpio Sky, Rikishi, Gail Kim, Carlito Caribbean Cool, Penelope Cruz and her husband, um, whose name, Kip Sabian, Chris Masters, Maven. Camille Brickhouse, Deanna Perrazzo, Nyla Rose, Tasha Steeles. Uh, from AEW's baddies, we've got Kira Hogan and Red Velvet, Amber Nova. We've got Tara, a.k.a. Victoria, Melina. We've got Johnny Rods. We've got Samu of the Head Shrinkers. Uh, we've got Earl Hebner, Sonny Kiss, Dutch Mantel. The list goes on and on, ladies and gentlemen. We are still, they are still adding names to that list every single day. You've got a little under two months to get a ticket. If you buy a ticket now, it's $15. If you buy it at the door, it's 20 But I promise you, you're going to have a great time because the boys over there at the asylum, my admin brothers, do a fantastic job 
I've been at shows with them before. They make you feel like you're family. And with all of the guests that they are bringing in and other people are bringing in, tables that are going to be there, the amount of stuff that you can buy, the amount of autographs that you can get, you're going to have a good time, ladies and gentlemen. So I promise you, don't miss out. If you live in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, even the Virginia area, because Nick Francis and David Gold are from Virginia. Go ahead, take the ride, come on down, and have a good time with us at WrestleBash. One last quick shout out to my brother, my friend, Bobby Anders. I hope you feel better, my brother. Happy birthday to you. Uh, just passed a couple days ago. Happy birthday. I love you. I love your family. Thank you for being a really good friend. Um, until next week, I will see you next time on If You Smell what the arch is cooking. <laughs>